0: 18 plus all right one of the other discussions uh, that we are having is uh the the word soft targets or the words soft targets uh is being bandied about uh with uh, just abandon and uh it's obviously a, a legitimate concern because this is where these mass shooters are now moving towards Soft Targets uh, is any place where people congregate, where security is either very lax or almost impossible. Uh, The Gilroy Festival, for example, and you had, uh, which was a wide-open festival. And uh, now, do you uh, have metal detectors? I guess that would have been easier to do, is put metal detectors, because there are a lot of places. You go to any venue uh, at a stadium. You go to something at Staples. You go to... Uh, certainly the Coliseum, uh, football venues. Uh, you're going through a metal detector. Now, can you have metal detectors at every uh, single nightclub? Maybe. Do you have metal detectors uh, at uh, every uh, stadium? Well, they do that. Um, yeah, every fair? Every shopping center? Well, maybe you go to maybe Maybe we go there where hard targets or soft targets become harder. Now, let's say in Gilroy, you had a situation where it happened inside of the festival. And uh, and even if there were, there may very, very well may have been uh, metal detectors. Well, the shooter cut through uh, the fencing uh, with a bunch of bolt cutters or with a bolt cutter and was able to get in there. How do you defend against that? You don't. Or if you do, it becomes prohibitively uh, expensive. You can't do that. Let me tell you, and it's, it's a story I want to share with you. Uh, when, when I went back to Brazil, I think I was 18, 19 years old, and it was my first visit back to Brazil after coming to the United States. And I remember I came to the United States when I was five. And the military dictatorship uh, was uh, in place at that time. And the crime was insane in Brazil, as it is now. Brazil has always been a very dangerous place to be. And uh, we had family and do have family in Sao Paulo. And the one place where people felt absolutely safe was in shopping centers. That's where they would go to eat. That's where they would go to meet. That's where they would go to hang out. And you know why? Because the army had military members with AK-47s marching up and down the aisles by the dozens, uniformed military personnel fully armed in the shopping center. All the open areas, they were armed, and just it was obvious that, God forbid, anybody get involved in a shootout. And that's the only place where people felt safe. They loved it. Here in America, we'd go berserk. How dare the military come into a shopping center? They loved it. And maybe that's the only way we're going to be able to deal with this. Because, for example, you have the nightclub shooting uh, that took place in Dayton. So you have the gunmen walk in and there's a line of people uh, that are waiting to get in the nightclub. How do you harden that target? Can you harden a Walmart metal detectors for anybody coming in and a TSA type of searcher, type of security? How expensive do you think that would be? It would be completely crazy. Santa Monica, you've got the promenade. You've got these pedestrian areas. What do you do to harden those? I mean, you can't. All you can do is do what you can in terms of security all you can do is uh, force businesses to pay more money metal detectors are very expensive and uh, putting people uh, in, in at medical t- at metal detectors uh, even more expensive and how does a business do that and stay in business uh, you can't so it's a question of more intelligence i guess Trying to figure out who these uh, crackpots are. Mainly looking at the internet. mainly The red flag laws that even the president is pushing. That if someone is mentally ill or has a history of uh, posting on the internet or looks to be a threat. And then the ACLU is going to go crazy on that one. Just because, for example, if I think Jennifer Jones Lee is a lunatic... And I say, well, she's been talking about coming into KFI because uh, she's not getting enough money and she's going to attack everybody. But that would be everybody that works here in the building. If uh, she were to come in and I, I report that, do they take away her weapons? Do they go to her house? I mean, we have First Amendment issues all over the place here. Fourth Amendment issues, search and seizure. Man, there's just no easy answer. There really is no easy answer. And there are ways to make it more difficult, the experts are telling us. But there's no way to uh, make it foolproof or close to foolproof. And uh, one of the ways everybody, uh, well, for example, have a lot more security. And one of the reasons that the shooter in Dayton went down so quickly, 30 seconds, is that there were two cops right there. And if two cops hadn't been right there, I mean the death toll would have been far, far higher. The gunman unloaded 41 shots in 30 seconds and killed nine people. What if it took uh, c- cops two minutes to get there? And keep in mind, he had uh, he had canisters, right? He had uh, magazines that were a hundred bullets per. So would it be 18 dead? If he was going to last another 30 seconds, because he certainly had the bullet capacity, nothing easy, is it? All right, uh, let's talk about Walmart for a minute and guns. Walmart has a very long, very complicated history with guns. Very complicated history. First of all, firearms have been a long, long part of Walmart's business. Matter of fact, Sam Walton, the founder, was big on guns. Big hunter. Uh, He opened his store in Bentonville, his first one, he said, specifically so he'd be close to his in-law's quail hunting ranch. Uh, Remington shotguns were his thing. And so we've now 26 years since uh, Walmart made its landmark decision to stop carrying handguns. In July, it announced it would stop selling guns in New Mexico after a new law, a new state law went into effect which requires background checks for virtually every private gun sale, excluding antiques and those uh, to relatives. And so it's made it more difficult. So Walmart is just basically bailed out of that in New Mexico. Uh, now, last year also Walmart said it would raise the minimum age uh, to buy guns or ammo from 18 to 21 and remove uh, weapons uh, of assault, assault style. We're talking about the weapons that have been used recently in all of the mass shootings, and uh, they made the statement uh, in light of recent events, and uh, that was in reference to the shooting at Parkland. Uh, it came late to the game, 1993, when it stopped decide when it decided to stop selling handguns, and then it came back into sales when sales during the recession. Dipped dramatically, also made a decision to go more upscale, failed miserably. And Walmart as always sold guns and a big part of the business is to gun buyers. So um what happened was uh, that as the recession hit, it had to come back and sell firearms again just to become uh, uh, just to become profitable. So, uh, after a five year hiatus, the company started filling up the shelves with shotguns and rifles and ammunition, and that is a high profit margin category. And then in 2012, after Newton, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, uh, Walmart was called on to stop selling ast- assault-style rifle uh, rifles. Uh, Adam Lanza, the uh, massacre, or, the massacre or uh, the shooter in uh, Newtown. Used uh, that weapon to murder twenty kids and six uh, six staffers. So, three years later, Walmart stopped selling the AR-15 and similar weapons. And why? And here is uh, the part I want to share with you about Walmart and its history of uh, selling weapons. There is no moral position Walmart takes, even in light of shooting, saying we will not take it anymore. We cannot stand Americans, American children being killed with the weapons that we sell, particularly the assault-style weapons. It's all about money. And they say they are honest about it. It's all about the market. And when the market is such, when the pressure is great enough to stop selling weapons, we stop. And as soon as it tones down, we start. And a lot of it is political pressure in some cases. A lot of it is just sales. A lot of it has to be uh, simply where the Walmarts are. For example, the couple of Walmarts that I went to, the sporting goods store, and there's one in Panorama City. There's one uh, out west in the Valley. I don't know where they are uh, relative to the other uh, places in Southern California. Uh, I think some just sell shotguns. Others sell long guns. Some don't sell handguns. I'm assuming most don't sell assault-style weapons, maybe in the Deep South, the gun states, uh, they do. But it's all about market and where you are. I remember going to Walmart uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. We were driving along. We were doing something in Jacksonville a bunch of years ago, and we walked in, and there were these five-gallon glass bottles of pickled pig's feet. And I mean, it was a pyramid of pickled pig, uh, pickled pig's feet. Say that quickly, pickled pig's uh. And it was 30 feet high and there must have been thousands in there. And I went up to the clerk, I go, how many of these are you going to sell? Oh. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. You coming back this way? I go, yeah, we're coming back in about three days. Come on back to this store. There wasn't a bottle left. So now, uh, go to your local Walmart here in Southern California and tell me how many five-gallon bottles of pickled pig's feet you're going to find. Same thing with weapons. All right, now let's just move over to climate change for a moment. And I know a lot of people say, well, there's, yeah, climate change doesn't exist or it's not exacerbated by mankind all right if you had to guess uh where would the last place in america be where there's a serious danger of uh fires for example wildfires uh so jen let me let me ask you of all the places in the united states where would you think it's not a problem a wildfire manhattan oh good point Okay, I'm talking. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I don't know. You're right. I wasn't sure where you were going. No, that's actually. I uh, never. I didn't think about that. I'm talking about the great outdoors, where okay, wildfires, where wildfires take place, like trees uh, um, and bush and and brush. All right, I'll it, throw it in there. It almost is a trick question. Uh, the Pacific Northwest. Oh, you. Uh, sorry, region. Okay, got yeah, it. Region. Got it. I'm about that was my mistake. Uh, the Pacific Northwest is at incredible risk. Of wildfire. You go, wait a minute. It's the wettest part of the United States. Yeah. You know, it rains I think like it's crazy. Seattle. It's yeah. just wet and Okay, all the so time. why would that place be one of the most at risk? Fuel. Um, number one, the fuel. Number two, climate change. It's warming up. And the only thing is the experts are saying that it's saving its collective rear end, although I don't know how forests have rear ends. Its collective rear end is the wet is the amount of rain. And if less rain falls and it becomes a drought area or less of a wet area, then the risk goes up. And then here's another one, right? Any, where, what regions, go back to that, uh, what region anywhere in the country has housing that's that close to trees? Well, that's true. That's right in the middle of it. That's right. They put up, they love up there being as close to the forest's and you're talking about swaths of housing that you put up right, or they put up right next to forests. That's where the uh, the Pacific Northwesterners love to live. That's where they want to go. That's where they want to the go. Yeah. Uh, they love their kids being bitten by rabid squirrels. I mean, there is just something about those people that they just love it. So you put those com, you put that combination. Uh, you have climate change. Where things get warmer, you got massive amount of forests. Uh, You've got rains not coming nearly as heavily and as many days as you had before. And you've got everybody wanting to live next to the forest. You know, pick the mushrooms and, you know, theoretically die because you don't have the right mushrooms. And trees dying and falling on your house. Uh, And let's not forget the wildfires because that is not a tree falling on a person's house. And we found that out with a campfire. And it used to be, well, the story, look, look at this uh, over the last few years. And we've been covering, of course, Jen's been covering uh, wildfires. If a wildfire uh, destroyed 20 homes, that was huge news. Yep. All right. And then there was, and the one that uh, comes to mind is in Oakland, 3,000 homes were destroyed and that was end of the world headlines. I mean, it couldn't get worse than that. Then we have the campfire. 15,000 homes go up. Now we're at statistics that it, it's, you don't even think about, it, it's just numbers. I mean, it's just numbers. 15,000, 20,000 It's sort of the cost of doing business. It's extraordinary where we have come. So we've reached the point now where uh, wildfire risks are serious in the Pacific Northwest, and the only thing that's saving that area, and I'm talking about the entire state going down, is the fact that it's still wet, but getting drier. Move to Manhattan. You're absolutely right. Very, very little chance of a wildfire going through Manhattan. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you very much. All right, uh, talking about the Pacific Northwest, I want to share something with you. And that is Seattle is dealing with uh, people in their poor areas. Uh, We're talking about, I'm not going to say the slums, but let's say the low-income socioeconomic areas, uh, Latino, black particularly, and how they're helping those people succeed. And it's not about giving them vouchers. It's not about them giving more money. It's not about increasing Section 8 housing. It's it's really an interesting idea, and the rest of the country is looking at it. How Seattle is making this work, and I'll explain. Uh, let's move over to uh, part of the housing issue, and in, it's a different way. It's a different spin on this, something that is going on. Uh, one of uh, the issues, and this is uh, according to surveys and uh, studying this a lot, uh, is the issue of, uh, of course, uh, poor neighborhoods – uh, equals minority neighborhoods uh, here in Southern California on the West Coast for the most part, overwhelmingly so. The people don't do as well. They don't, uh, the people that live in these uh, neighborhoods um, uh, don't earn as much money. Their education level is lower than the national or statewide average. Uh, the crime increases in those air areas uh, in African American neighborhoods family units are not as strong uh, mom's dad's uh, raising kids as we all know the problems and so the answer to the, to up to this point is to and and people don't have the money to pay rent because now rents are astronomical so what do people do well people in uh, who have good jobs are having an impossible time paying the rent. Can you imagine people in the poor neighborhoods? What's going on? So up to this point, housing, vouchers, money, various programs that put money into the neighborhoods, redevelopment areas, that's where the answer has been. But one of the things that has been noticed in the recent studies is opportunities to go to better schools, do better, study more, uh, just simply get better jobs, are not there. And it almost doesn't matter where the money goes to or how much you put in. So here's what's happened with Seattle. Seattle looked at this and said, one of the big issues is living in those neighborhoods, the opportunity to do better is not there notwithstanding the number of programs, the amount of money you put in there. So let's concentrate on increasing opportunity. That's not talking about moving people out of there. That's talking about making it easier for them to move up the social ladder. So in addition to money coming in, you know what they're doing? They're putting in mentors. They're putting in uh... folks that are experts in simply helping those in the lower economic areas minority areas poor areas learn how to play the game helping students go for grants and scholarships uh... helping people who call up uh... just deal with uh... landlords for example and potential employers because if you don't know how to do that, you're not going to do as well. I mean, just a conversation over the phone with someone or writing a resume, applying for a job. Uh, people don't have the skill set. I mean, they just don't know how to do it in many cases. And there comes in the program is we're going to help you learn how to play the game of life. You know, there are plenty of people who have virtually no education or very little education that do tremendously well. And two things make that happen. One, they have to be fairly smart. I mean, if you have an IQ of 46, you're going to have a very hard time succeeding. Two, you have to learn how to play the game. And the game is saying the right things. The game is doing things to impress employers. Uh, The game is during interviews, uh, knowing what to say, knowing how to dress, uh, how to respond to folks, how to fill out applications, how to maximize your ability to make yourself look the best you can do. There are no programs that do that, except in Seattle. And they've put a program together, and it's wildly successful. It is working so well. And you go, wow. So it's a, and, and it's not expensive to do. We're not talking about but not. Pouring money in for housing, infrastructure, uh, new schools. We're simply talking about people sitting down as mentors and teaching people hey, here's how it goes to succeed. It's actually Tony Robbins, but with short people. Okay. He's six foot eight or something. You know, I mean, the guy is huge. Did you know that, Alex? No. Yeah, he's enormous. Okay. The conversation of gun control is going to once again rear its ugly head. And as uh, the aftermath of uh, Sandy Hook and the aftermath of other mass shootings, uh, for a minute or two, there is going to be conversation. And if you look at all of history, recent history, mass shootings, children being massacred, uh, innocent people, of course, uh, being killed at various venues, you had a little bit of conversation. And then it disappeared very quickly. I thought after Sandy Hook and you had, what, 20 kids, 18 kids being massacred, that there would be some kind of action. Of course there wasn't. And one of the reasons is because we're a gun culture, as you know, So We've talked about that before, and there's an entire issue of our history and our mentality and how Americans are different uh, than many other countries. And the NRA. Now, the NRA is a unique organization in the United States. First of all, the NRA has immense power and influence, No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. And I I probably wouldn't disagree with that. And so the NRA, uh, with its allies, read Republican uh, senators, congresspeople, governors, mayors, have done a tremendously good job of shutting down any kind of gun control measures. Even measures that uh, the Democrats are calling common sense gun control, which I happen to agree with that. I have a hard time thinking that uh, assault weapons uh, should be allowed to be bought anywhere in the United States by virtually anybody because uh, that's the first step. You stop assault weapons, that is the first step in the government actually coming to your house and taking away your guns and I've never been able to connect the two. When, uh, uh, Other than the slippery slope argument. But here is what's going on now. Gun control groups are actually catching up to the NRA. And for two reasons. I feel like Joe Biden. Reason number one is that we may have hit critical mass. Maybe. Where there is a legitimate discussion of, where we go in terms of gun control. Even the word control is anathema to gun advocates. To control any part of the ability to buy, sell, use guns is un American, obviously in violation of the uh, Second Amendment, and it's akin to putting us all in the concentration camps. And I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm uh, exaggerating on that one. So, You have, and the position of the NRA has been so adamant, so we will not move one inch. When we talk about legislation, when we talk about laws, it's all an issue of compromise. Republicans and Democrats, the way laws are passed in this country is uh, you have to compromise. You have both sides coming together. And when everybody is unhappy, you know that the job has been done well. Well, with the NRA, there is no such thing as compromise. It's all or nothing. Nothing being we're going to have the government take away our guns and we will not be able to own any kind of a gun. Uh, And all means uh, that uh, to the Democrats and uh, those that are fighting gun advocacy are saying that it is hilarious. All means... That there is going to be some kind of gun control. Here is the argument. Some kind of gun control, and it's limited, incidentally, versus no gun control. Can you imagine? The compromise there is so far to the right that that's the only way we're going to go. At best, the other reason the NRA is uh, losing its influence, not just because its position is so adamant so one-sided that it refuses to compromise is the nra itself has all kinds of problems it's losing members money isn't coming in as much uh there's been a lot of internal uh turmoil going on as a matter of fact when charlton heston was buried they did have to pry the gun from his cold dead hands i don't know if you've seen the video I missed that. Yeah, but there he is. Uh, you know, they, it won't fit into the coffin because the gun was—he uh, was holding it sideways and just couldn't get in there, and they had to pry it away. I, I didn't see that photo. Well, you see, uh, you're just not uh, keeping up with not the news, no, are you? No, no, absolutely not. It's—it's uh, it, it's an issue of uh, the the internal workings of the NRA losing a lot of its influence. A lot of it being because it is so crazy in. Its position, the adamance of where they're going uh, has never wavered. And the fact that some people are saying, you know what? Uh, I'm okay. You can do background checks on me. I'm fine with that. Um, I'm okay with, um, uh, you know, a family member or someone who is mentally ill uh, should have the police take away their weapons or a little bit better on that. One thing about uh, the gun advocates is they have always said criminals should not have guns. They have been as adamant as anybody else. Felons should not own guns. They've been very, very good if you look at it, we're very strong in that regard. And uh, so they're, and they're, the money, even though they blow away anybody else with the money that they have in terms of gun advocacy, that's decreasing. See, I'm a gun owner and I'm totally okay with additional background checks, fine. Go look at whatever you need to look at. All right, so you don't believe in the slippery slope. I don't personally believe in the slippery slope. And I'm wondering how many people actually do. How many reasonable gun owners out there? And is the NRA simply representing a fringe? But it's so powerful, and historically has been so powerful that uh, it's uh, the people lose sight of anything. Other than what they're promoting, I remember as a kid when I was a Boy Scout before I got tossed out of Boy Scouts. I was, I was throwing out Boy Scouts. I remember. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember uh, we had uh, the merit badge. We had a shooting merit badge, and we would go to uh, the rifle range and be in our Boy Scout uniform. And it was run by the NRA. I thought the NRA was part of Boy Scouts. <laughs> I thought it was part of the organization itself. They were so connected. I mean, that gives you an idea of uh, the, the inroads that the NRA, uh, NRA has made in society and has historically. All right, let's talk about the, the conversation that actually is happening. Background checks uh, and uh, the red flag laws that the president uh, talked about uh, during his speech and has tweeted about and what is not being touched. I mean, not even touched. And that, to me, is just as important. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, really? We have not yet reached that point? Are we ever going to? And my guess is, not in in my lifetime. Is it going to happen in any way? Well, I think there's going to be some nibbles taken out of uh, the philosophy here in the United States, uh, basically uncontrolled purchase and sale of uh, weapons. And uh, the... uh, Lindsey Graham and the president are already talking, and Lindsey Graham is introducing a bipartisan bill. And there are two issues that look like they may go. Uh, one of them is expanded background checks. And uh, I have no idea why the NRA and gun advocates have been fighting that one forever. Uh, because I was just talking to Jen, who is a gun owner. Uh, assuming you're not a criminal, what, what do you care if they do background checks about you, what, why are you so upset? Well, the reason they so upset is because of the slippery slope. We keep on doing that. Any kind of an intrusion in your gun rights, any kind, background checks, whatever, uh, no. And the one that's uh, probably going to go uh, rather quickly, I think, uh, is actually maybe put into place, is going to be uh, the red flag laws. And California has the strongest red flag laws, and what it allows uh, to happen is family members, household members, and law enforcement can actually go to court. Well, actually, only law enforcement can go to court, but family members can tell law enforcement to take away the guns on a temporary basis. And then the gun owner has to go back in and argue my Second Amendment rights have been violated. And uh, I'm assuming that'll be fairly easy. We don't know what the particulars are. But red flag laws may be coming into effect. Uh, Certainly, I think the president talked about red flag laws. uh, Lindsey Graham. And it looks like the NRA, if it tries to fight it, is going to lose this battle on those two issues. But I'll tell you what they're not touching: the assault weapons ban, uh, the number of days that it takes to buy a weapon, while wow, a background check is going is going on, uh, how long law enforcement keeps that information as to background checks, uh, the loophole of gun shows that allow anybody. Mentally ill felons, whatever, to buy a gun legally at a gun at a gun show. I mean, just to give you uh, an idea of what how it works in this country. October first, 2017. What happened? Uh, it was Las Vegas. 58 people massacred. Uh, several hundred wounded at the Mandalay Bay. And so you'd figure. All right, Congress is in session uh, uh, in October. You would think it would take them about half an hour to introduce introduce a bill to ban bump stocks, which make semi-automatic weapons essentially fully automatic weapons. I mean, how many people are in favor of... uh, an average American having a fully automatic automatic assault weapon. Well, there are some because it's a violation of the Second Amendment if you don't. But I would say the vast majority of Americans would say, okay, uh, that one draws the line, all right? We don't want uh, fully automatic weapons in people's hands because of the havoc uh, that uh, can occur when it's in the wrong hands. So October 1st, a week maybe for Congress to pass it. And just, I mean, limited, uh, a bipartisan bill, nothing else in it. Incidentally, not amendments, not crazy stuff they throw in, which happens all the time with bills, just a simple. No bump stocks. Done. Congress couldn't even get to that point. It took the president 18 months later by a directive to ban bump stocks. Is that not crazy? And if we did a poll right now, of even gun advocates uh are are you in favor of bump stocks being allowed allowed to be sold and owned and of course the second there was the second there was even a suggestion that there was going to be a, a ban on bump stocks they sold out the people who manufactured them sold out in a matter of days And you wonder why Venezuela and Uruguay have just issued travel warnings about the U.S. I mean, a lot of that is political, of course. All right. Uh, A little bit more. We're going to be doing a lot of stories uh, in the aftermath of uh, the shootings over the weekend uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, critical mass. We may have reached critical mass. I don't know, uh, but uh, certainly this is on its way because at some point people just go, okay, we're done. We're done. We have to do something about it. And as a result of what happened, a couple of things are going on. The president came out and is in favor of the red flag laws in which a police officer or a family member in the house can go to the police and they will take away a gun uh, from the person who has been red flagged. And then the other issue is expanded background checks. And what you're not going to be hearing is the ban on assault weapons. That is not going to be in the conversation, Uh, the limiting the number of uh, magazines or the capacity of a magazine. You're not going to hear much about that. Uh, But, you know, we're for those of us that are in favor of gun control, you know, where I sit and I've had so many conversations, screaming conversations with people, which I love to do because that's what I do for a living. Uh, There is something else that you've been hearing and a word that, uh, or a couple of words that have come up time and time again, and that is lone wolf. And already uh, we've been hearing that uh, domestic terrorism is actually a greater threat than foreign terrorism. Al Qaeda, Islamists, crazy uh, fundamentalist Islamists, it's domestic terrorism. And it's not domestic terrorism based on Islamic philosophy. As, you have, as we have seen in the past, where you have young men that are radicalized in terms of uh, Islam. Oh, no. This is a whole different animal. This is domestic terrorism based on effectively white supremacy. And there is a history of this. Our country is rife with white supremacy. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what I want to do is revisit the lone wolf issue. There is no such thing as a lone wolf. Maybe the actual shooting. But if you look at the vast majority of these lone wolves who, uh, other than the Islamic terrorists or radicalized uh, young men, uh, they all follow the same path. Anti-immigrant Anti Semitic, uh, anti minority, white supremacists who believe that America should primarily be white. And we don't want uh, those people, according to them, uh, that are of different color, uh, different philosophy, different ilk, uh, who want to live in the United States. We just don't want those folks. And uh, certainly the president smacks of that. He, if he is not a firm believer in that, he is certainly on the edges in his statements, uh, and has been called an out-and-out out racist. I don't know if I would go that far, but I would certainly say he encourages it, and his language about Mexican, his language about Muslims, uh, his language about immigrants, I mean, that certainly smells like someone who wants to keep America uh, white and pure. Now, again, I am not Accusing him of being there, but I certainly am accusing him of creating a climate of there, fostering uh, this philosophy. And uh, there's no question in my mind, the white supremacists have uh, gone crazy. I mean, the incidence of white supremacy on the Internet has exploded over the last few years since uh, President Trump declared his candidacy. And so uh, the El Paso incident particularly uh, drew attention to this problem of lone wolf shooters and should they be viewed as isolated actors, sick people, in the words of White House uh, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, uh, or as uh, I think is a legitimate view, part of a much larger ideologically driven movement. Uh, Daniel Oakrant, who wrote uh, the book The Guarded Gate, a uh, history of anti-immigrant bigotry in the United States, said these are not single shooters. These are a mob with high-powered rifles, people who feel they're part of something bigger. And they don't get together in the street with torches, like Frankenstein, right? You have all the torches and the pitchforks, and you're marching up to the castle. No, no. Their mob is the Internet. That's where they congregate. And the Internet, as I've said, is far more dangerous and far easier for these people to get together. And they do. They share philosophy. They share hatred. uh, They talk about weaponry. Uh, They're the ones that advocate keeping America pure. They're scared to death of immigration why because it interferes with their idea of america they believe that their jobs are being taken over by immigrants they believe that our country is moving away from its history effectively white protestant uh an anti-immigrant which i'm going to share with you in a moment the history of bigotry in this country that goes way way back and so there's the lone wolf. There's no the lone wolf. They're already part of the mob. And all they do, this is the guy who has the torch in front of the mob who actually ignites the building on fire. So they are part of this group of people, this community. And they really feel they're, they're, they're doing something bigger than themselves. I have talked to many people service members uh, who believe and this is something that's taught in the military and this is why you have uh, people who so many people feel this way. and the Marines say this all the time, you become you become something bigger than just yourself. You are moving towards an idea. This is why you are here, the idea of democracy, the idea of freedom. Well, they're the, it's exactly the same feeling with, that they have, except their idea of freedom is no immigrants, no Jews, no Muslims, no Catholics from any of them. Certainly no Mexicans specifically, although they haven't gone towards Central Americans particularly yet. It's still Mexicans. Uh, They haven't quite moved over in that regard. Okay, now, uh, a little bit of a history of uh, white supremacy and racism here in the United States. This is not new stuff. I mean, uh, let, let me just go back starting in the 1840s, although it was well before that. But uh, Protestant rioters in uh, Philadelphia attacked Irish Catholics. Ten years later, Protestant lynch mobs in uh, Louisville targeted German and Italian Catholics. 1871, uh, whites massacred Chinese immigrants. If, I mean, th- how we treated people in this country of uh different ethnic backgrounds and religions and if you look at the history of this country uh, immigrants there were no immigrants virtually no group of immigrants that came in that were not treated horribly and then it became a question of assimilation irish americans are no longer considered immigrants foreigners catholics are no longer considered foreigners. But it was a, let me tell you, it was a huge deal when JFK was elected as the first uh, Catholic president, for sure. Before that, it became almost impossible to think of that happening. I mean, certainly in my lifetime, my adult lifetime, the thought of an African-American being elected president was impossible to conceive of. So things have changed, sort of, And now we've done another circle going back to where anybody who's coming in, a foreigner of almost any kind, but particularly Hispanics, are taking over. And then there is an underlying philosophy among these white supremacists, and that is uh, the issue of replacement, the grand replacement, being that white Americans are being replaced by... Primarily Latinos, only because of the numbers, and they're taking our jobs. They're taking over America. Their leaders are going to vote us uh, out, either out of existence or we're going to have no influence whatsoever. And can you imagine white Americans no longer controlling America, the United States of America? how horrible is that so we have to do something about it so you had El Paso where the shooting took place uh, specifically to take out Latinos Uh, you had the pulse and this was not white supremacy that was anti-LBGQ people because they're different they're not us because we're real men we ain't queers Right? Anybody different. And it is growing like crazy. And it is growing, and I'm going to give the credit to the president because of the growth. He is, if not straight out fomenting this kind of racism and white supremacy, he has certainly provided a culture where this can mushroom and grow, and has given white supremacists a just a philosophy where they think they're protected. Matter of fact, there was a story uh, about a white supremacy group in Germany uh, that were carrying MAGA hats. That's what they're saying. Make Germany great again. It's crazy. You have these groups, these radical groups all over the world looking at President Trump as a hero. Now, he doesn't take pride in that. He doesn't point to himself and say, look at me. But when he talks about immigrants, when he talks about, uses words like invasion, that's dangerous stuff. You know, that puts a whole level of respectability, a whole level of the uh, approval, permission that these people think they have. This is KFI AM 640.